You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Well, welcome back. You braved the rain. Did the rain stop? No, still raining. Thank you for braving the rain. I mean, it's Portland. We don't expect it up here, do we? So sermon two in our series, God's Design for Sexuality. Four more to go after this one, plus our forums that'll happen on two Sundays, the 20th of October and November the 3rd. They'll start right after the first service and go into this service. Today we're talking about the Bible, our foundation. And uh, Sherry, my pretty wife, said, you guys got a little carried away with the notes, didn't you? It's a resource. We'll go through it together. It's, uh, it's helpful, and uh, so it's there, but we want to work with it a little bit. The other thing we're doing is we're putting up uh, a chance for you to participate actively through questions. We got a lot of them last week. Uh, this is a different forum, so you'll see not the questions from last week, but the new ones are up there. And uh, one, of the, one of them that's rated, you can vote on it, it'll move it up. One of them is on there. Can we see the answers to last week's questions? Well, yes, some of them we'll put up and we'll make them available for you. Others will be answering the sermon series and others will be answering the forum. But we will have, and I'm, we'll just see how many come in. If, if it's no more than we've got so far, we'll write short answers to all of them. But the answers can be done in the sermons or in the forum, most of them anyway. So this, this is on your... Uh, your handout, and it'll be at the bottom of many of the slides. This is number one last week. Should there be a different response to sexual sin for believers versus non-believers? The answer is, yeah, absolutely. Jesus is Lord of all, but those who said Jesus is my Lord have a different relation with him than people who said, no, you're not my Lord. Yeah, absolutely there's a difference. When I'm working with him, it says, should Christ, there are Christians coming out as gay, and there are gay Christians, gay folk who are becoming Christians. What should our responses be to them versus our non-Christ-following non gay friends? Well, with all of them, and not just gay folk, all sorts of folk, is going to be love, serve, talk with, eat with, be with, open God's word, find hope for change and growth. Because we're all sinners looking for help. It's not like somebody, I got all the food and you guys are asking for, we're all kind of beggars looking for God's food. And that's why we come together. Yeah, it absolutely is a difference. And we're addressing our sermons to Jesus' followers. This is not a culture war type thing. We're talking about as a church of Jesus Christ to be faithful. How can we be a place of hope and healing for all kinds of people? And this particular one is, of course, a very, very hot topic right now. Second question that came up is about number three on our list. I have young children. I want to borrow your baby. Can I do that, please? Oh, my gosh. So cute. Right across the aisle. I want to just sort of grab this little kike. Yeah. How do I begin to talk to them about their identity and sexuality? Well, there is back on the back a resource sheet. Not the handout, but it's in the thing there. It has a lot of resources for dealing with various issues of sexuality. And one of them is books for parents and their children. And, yes, we do have it. Here's one of them. We highly, highly, highly recommend for those of you who are parents that this, this story of me is book one in a series, and that series is God's Design for Sex. 
And there are four books in this series done by Brenna and Stan Jones. They're amazing, godly people. And it's really well-designed. But I want you to note, at what age do Brenna and Stan Jones suggest you begin talking to your children about sexuality? At what age? Three to five. I ask people pretty regularly, when do you start talking to your children about sex? And they say, well, I don't know, like maybe 16. (laughs) And I think you're an idiot. Why? I don't say it. I think it. Why? Well, I don't want to put ideas in their head. I think, have you been paying attention to anything? Of course I want to put ideas in their head. They're called godly ideas, and sexuality is one of those things that we want to absolutely put godly ideas in people's head. So here we go. Bible, our foundation. Starting in story with the people of Egypt and Yahweh their God. And he says, as we start off what becomes the ten plagues, Therefore say to Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will do what? I will redeem you. So that's the first thing we see about God and his working. No matter where we're at, is God is the one who redeems. Now these are people in actual slavery, but we're redeemed from all kinds of stuff. And that's who God is, is the God who redeems. So in your blanks, on your handout, yes, and there are more back there if you didn't get one. The Bible is a document, it's a fairly big document, written by people telling the story of the God who is acting in history to redeem his people. That's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. We look at this, and he does redeem with outstretched arm mighty acts of judgment, but why? He says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. That's the goal. That's the goal of what God is doing, is for us to know him, not just intellectual knowledge, but a deeply relational knowing. That's the goal, all the way through is that kind of a thing. So what happens after they cross the Red Sea? The Egyptian soldiers are killed. Aaron, or Moses, is, along with his right, sing the song. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Horse and driver is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him, my Father's God. I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior and the Lord is his name, Miriam leads the people along with her brother Moses. Take a tremble. All the women followed with timbrels dancing. Miriam sang, sing to the Lord, he is exalted. So what you see here is joyous praise. Why? Because we've seen the hand of God at work and our response is just to, so good. That's a totally cute baby. I just want to praise that little guy. Yeah, totally. (laughs) That's what you do. It's just a spontaneous, oh my gosh, look at that kind of thing. Only here we're talking about God. So, like four days later, they head off to Sinai to meet with God. What's their attitude now? In the desert, the what? They what? Grumbled. If only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, then we sat around pots of meat, ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. What are they doing? Bitter grumbling. Now, I've got to say, those of you who are listening online, all these PowerPoint slides are there. You can download them and look at them. There are 133 of them, so hang on. 
and the handout's there too. Bitter grumbling. Okay, those are your parents. When your kids are bitter grumbling at you, what do you do? What? Grill them back. Grumble them back at them. Yeah, totally. What does God do? The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight, you will eat meat. And in the morning, you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. There's that same thing, that rich relational knowing. That evening, quail came, covered the camp. The morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared in the desert floor and the leftover stuff. The people said, what's it? And God said, yep, that's right. It's what's it. We call it manna. That's what it means. It's what's it. And it was bread and they ate it. Because why? God provides. God provides in the place of need. So the Bible is a document that talks about God who redeems and provides for his people. But the story doesn't end. They head on through the wilderness or some more grumbling and such, and the Amalekites. Now, that doesn't, name doesn't mean a lot to us today because we don't know the Bible history that well. But when you think of Amalekites, think of the worst marauding raiders you can imagine. That's the Amalekites. They're the ones who look for easy prey, and they swoop down, plunder, kill, destroy, and laugh it up as they do horrible things to people. The Amalekites attacked their Israelites at Rephidim. How many AK-47s did the Israelites bring out of slavery? Like none. They like bad three sticks maybe. Moses said to Joshua, choose some men and go out and fight the Amalekites. What's Joshua's response? No, let's run. It ain't going to work to fight them. I mean, they're marauding terrorists. Moses says, tomorrow I'll stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites, an act of faith. As Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the mountain. As long as Moses held up his hands, and the staff of God is in it. Remember, that's the staff that turned to a serpent in front of Pharaoh. That's the staff that he divided the Red Sea with, same staff. As long as he held up his hands, the Israelites are winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. What's God doing here? What's God doing here? He protects his helpless people against marauding raiders. So we see here that the Bible's a story, it's a narrative, it's a, it's a story of God acting in history, redeem, provide, and protect his people. That's who God is, that's who God is. That's what the Bible is there for, is to give us that kind of a picture. Interesting, going back to Isaiah, or Exodus chapter 17, the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. That's the first command to write the Bible. That's the first place where God said, write it down. Why? Because we're forgetful people. So Moses did. We find the same thing happening in chapter 24 at the beginning of the Mosaic Covenant. Write this down. We'll find it again in Exodus 34 where God reveals his fundamental character and he says, write this down. Why? So that we can remember who is Yahweh. He is the God who what? Redeems. Yeah, I expect to remember. Redeem Elders, there'll be a quiz Tuesday night at our meeting. Yeah. So no snacks unless you pass the quiz. 
God is the God who what? Redeems, provides, protects. Write it down. So here's the thing. God invites people, all people, into a covenant community, a covenant relationship like marriage with the rules of relationship so we can have an intimate relation with him and be a community of people characterized by such things as faithfulness, generosity, beauty, justice, mercy, all those kinds of things, love, service. That's the story of the Bible. That's what it's there for. That's why he does it. To give us a guidebook on how to have that good relation with him, how to be a, what kind of things constitute a community like that. Because there are lots of other stories that are trying to tell us things like that. Some points, why do we believe it? Well, the Bible teaches it. And here in your handout, I've got some summaries of some key passages. This could be a four-hour sermon if you want. The Bible is a meta-narrative. <clears throat> that means a big story. There are all kinds of meta-narratives from other religions and philosophies, but this is the one that gives excellent answers to the big questions alike. Like what? What's ultimately real? What's the nature of the world around us? Who are we? Why are we so messed up? Why is the world so messed up? Is there any solution to the messed upness of this world? Is there any hope? Those kinds of questions the Bible gives answers to, and frankly, it gives really good answers to it. One of the questions that's on the, the pop-up that just showed up here is, why in the world is Satan in charge of this world? We'll get at that question, but that's fundamentally the reason why things are so messed up. Serpent is doing his thing, and people are buying his poison. And God is the one who comes to crush the serpent. Those are meta-narrative kinds of things. I hear a lot of times people say, oh, the Bible's full of mistakes. My response is, okay, show me one. And usually they can't. If they can, we'll talk about it. But this, Anne Sherwin-White, is one of the premier Roman historians, not a believer at all. Any attempt to reject its basic historicity, even in matters of detail, must now appear absurd, he says. Why? He's, he's done the history. He's done the history. The Bible passes the criterion, I like this one, the criterion of embarrassment. Are you paying any attention to the political cycle that's going on right now? Are any of you as turned off by it as I am? Pick your candidate, what are they trying to do? I'm the coolest dude ever! My opponent, he's a snake! Okay, right? That kind of summarizes everything that's going on. And we're gonna throw the blankety blank out, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Well, how many of them are saying, I'm a snake? Like none of them. But look at the Bible. Who's the chief dude at the beginning of the church? A guy named what? Peter. What does the Bible say about him? Oh my gosh. He's the guy who denies Jesus. He's the guy who throws away the gospel. He's the guy who speaks when he ought to be quiet. And they talk about it. Who are the first witnesses to the resurrection in the Bible? Women. Totally discrediting in that society. Totally discrediting. The whole Bible. Moses. How does he work out? Every time he turns around in the early days, he's messing something up. The criterion of embarrassment. Why does it put it that way? Because it's the way it happened. It's telling a true story. It passes the criterion of embarrassment. Another question. 
Are the gospel's eyewitness testimony or distant products of a game of telephone? I hear this a lot as I hang around. People are saying, yeah, you know what, it's, you know, the gospel is written a lot later and it's like telephone. Do you ever play telephone? What happens? The first guy whispers in the second thing, that baby is totally cute, right? And what does the second guy do? He whispers in the next one, who whispers in the next one, who is, by the time you get to the 10th person, what do you get out of there? Habnina Mahaba! You know, it, it kind of got messed up on the way. But see, the gospel stories were not told like telephone. They were done in public, well-memorized speeches with eyewitnesses present. And if somebody would have said it wrong, one of the guys said, wait a minute, I was there, that's not the way it happened. And they heard it a number of times and it was in context of memory. Yeah, it was written down 30, 40 years later because the guys were dying off. The story isn't a telephone, the story is more like the way I tell the story of our engagement. You know, that woman over there, hanging out in a car over the East Mesa, no, we we're not doing any of the hanky-panky stuff. We were kissing a little bit, but you know. And she manipulated me, she manipulated me to ask her to marry me. Now to be sure, I was not opposed to the idea, it just hadn't occurred to me to do it at that point. You just, well, I mean, she's a good manipulator. Ask her. We've told that story many times. She could tell the story. She won't. She'll tell her version, but she did it, and it was effective. You know, and that's, you know, if you can't just tell a different thing. Yeah, I was up there, and I got down on one knee. So I'd say, no, no, that's not the way it happened. Because they're publicly told stories. It's not telephone. It's not telephone. Questions. Do we have the right words? Bart Ehrman, who's a well-known critic of scripture, says there are 400,000 mistakes in the Bible. We don't have the right words. There are tons of mistakes in the Bible. Well, okay, let's look at it. We have more than 20,000 handwritten manuscripts of the Bible in various languages. 20,000. And we have almost 6,000 Greek manuscripts of the Bible. In addition, we have more than how many quotations by the church fathers? Over a million quotations. We have a plethora, a huge pile of testimony, much of it ancient. We've got some that was, we have the actual copies of Bibles that were made while the originals were still in libraries. It's mentioned in this stuff. Go to Dan Wallace's website and you can see the pictures of those. Go to the, the Museum of the Bible, you can see the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's there. Take a look at it. Why does he say there are 400,000 mistakes in the Bible? Well, simply because if you take all the variations and all the manuscripts, it adds up to about 400,000. So somebody says it's plural instead of singular or misspells a word. Ah, oh, mistake. No, 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 no. Mm -mm. New. The New Testament is 99.5% at least textually pure. We know what was written down because of what we call scientific textual criticism. In the entire text, say 20,000 lines, only 40 lines are in doubt, and that's about 400 words, that there's any doubt. Let me give you one of them. Romans 5.1, Romans 5.1, we have been justified by faith, Therefore, we have peace with God. Or, 
We have been justified by faith, therefore let us have peace with God. One is factual, one is exhortative. That's one of the ones we do not know what Paul wrote. How big a difference does that make? None whatsoever. Even Bart Ehrman agrees that no textual variation makes any difference in the teaching of Scripture. I mean, we have confidence in the Bible. How about our translations? Our translations are good. My thing is compare several of them. It's there in your notes. Question, do we have like the books? Dan Brown, Da Vinci Code, you know, bazillion years old now. You all read it, right? What's he saying? The Bible was put together in the fourth century by a group of white male politicians trying to advance their thing to put down people they didn't agree with. In fact, in fact, the books of the New Testament were immediately, immediately accepted by the church. Why? Because they read them and said, man, this is good. Started making copies and passing them around. They went viral on YouTube, so to speak. The Roman church formalizes commendation 397 of the Council of Carthage, but that was merely formalizing what had been true from the beginning. There were places like uh, the book of Laodicea that Paul wrote the letter. We know it wrote, it's mentioned, we don't have it. How come? People said, great for Laodicea, not for the church. No question about it. Yeah, no question about it. The uh, 39 books of the Old Testament. If you open your Bible right now and look at the list, there'll be 39 books there. They're accepted by all Jews and Christians. Now I've got a question. How many things are accepted by all Jews and all Christians? Well, that's a really short list. But this is accepted by all Jews and all Christians. The 39 books in our Bible are to be received as truth from God and read as God's message for us. Now, to be sure, there's what's called the Apocrypha, Those are some other books that were accepted by Hellenistic Jews, Greek-speaking Jews, not accepted by the Hebrew-speaking Jews. And today, those are accepted by Catholic churches. They're accepted by uh, Eastern Orthodox churches. And today, no Jews do that. They're deuterocanonical. What's a response to that? They're great. Read them. First, second Maccabees is the history of the Maccabean War, 167 BC. It's amazing. There's some weird stuff. Bell and the Dragon is added to Daniel. It's strange. It's weird. But have you read the whole book of Daniel? It's strange and weird too. There's nothing offensive in the Apocrypha at all. It makes no difference in our thing. I'm going to use 39 books because that's the Bible Jesus used. But the Apocrypha is fine. It's not a point of contention. Every single branch of the Christian church adopts the same 27 books in the New Testament. There's no dispute. Now, there were some that were spoken against early on, questions raised because they were not immediately associated with apostles, but no serious question. Those books were accepted immediately and universally and still are. Protestant church, Lutheran church, Roman Catholic, Anglo-Catholic, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Persian church, all accept the same books, no question. Yeah, we got the right books. We got the right books. How about the four canonical gospels? How about the Gnostic gospels? Elaine Pagels and others say, 
And that's part of Dan Brown's. You ruled out the Gnostic Gospels. Well, my thing is, have you read them? They never have. So I say, pull out your phone, let's take a look at the Gospel of Thomas, which is one of the best. Okay, Gospel of Thomas, here it is. Good thing or bad thing? Simon Peter said to him, Jesus, let Mary leave us, for women are not worthy of life. What do you say to Peter at that spot? Dude, like we're going to dump you in the pot of boiling oil because clearly you've lost it. In the Gospel of Thomas, what does Jesus say? I myself should lead her in order to make her male, sound like Portland, so that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males, for every woman who will make herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Why do we not accept the Gospel of Thomas? Because it teaches trash like that. This is no white male, you know, whatever, cisgendered, whatever. No, this is because it taught trash. Now, there's good stuff in there, but that's why it wasn't accepted. Besides, it's late. How about authority? That's kind of the center thing we're talking about, and this is kind of the hardest thing because we're in a very anti-authority. When I look at characteristics of people in our world today, questioning authority, suspicion of authority is really high on every single list. Doesn't matter whether you're an old person like me or a young person, we just question authority. Why? Because we think authority is like this. We think authority is a mother reaming out her daughter, and the daughter cringing in shame. That's the picture of authority. And a lot of people, that's the question, that's the way they look at the Bible. Or they think of authority as a judge sitting behind a bench, handing down sentences from an abstract book without any contact whatsoever, and often done unjustly. Those are our pictures of authority. And I guess, for at least for some of us old people, we think of it something like this, right? Yeah, Saturday night church lady. Dana Carvey, yeah. Yeah. And we think of the Bible like that. But in fact, that's not the point. Authority is the right to define for the faithful what belief and action are to be that community of generosity, justice, goodness, beauty, and so on. So here it is. As the inspired word of God, and the Bible is God's inspired work, it's written by people to be sure, but it's there as God's guided things so that when we read what it says, we receive that as truth from God. The Bible alone is the final authority. It's not the only authority. Parents, government, I mean, there are other authorities, but the Bible is a final authority. Nothing can contradict the Bible. It's for all matters of faith and light. It is a covenant document, member of the community, given by Abba himself. Abba, just the Hebrew word for daddy, the respectful term of appreciation. It's Abba's redemptive relationship with his people. That's what authority is about. That's what authority is about. And when I think of the Bible as Abba's covenant document, I think of something like this. I think of a mother teaching her daughter how to make bread. That's the authority. Make it like this and it'll be good. One of my favorite pictures of authority is Bethany teaching Emily how to swim. Do you like that? I mean, that, that's a, no, to be sure, I'm prejudiced to daughter and granddaughter, but, you know, that's what, that's the God's, that's the joyous rejoicing that happens when things are going well. They don't always go well, but that's the point. It's a Abba's covenant document. The triune God has authority 
Why? He is the wise creator. He's the guy who designed things for maximum beauty. And when he gives us his direction, it's because he comes from that perspective. He's not the distant judge. He's the God who what? Who what? Who redeems, provides, protects. Good. Yeah. Some of you might get snacks. <laughs> he has given all authority to Messiah Jesus. I started to put on your handout how many times Jesus quoted or followed scripture specifically. It'd be a 10-page handout if I did that. Because what we see is that Jesus followed scripture and we follow it because he followed it. Because we have that living relation with him. I'm speaking to Jesus' followers here. That's why we follow the Bible. Because Jesus did and he shows us how to do that. The Bible is the only place where God speaks in a fully trustworthy way. Now I've got to say, not every interpretation of scripture is fully trustworthy. Because we Especially when we do it badly, we read things and come up with the wrong answer. But Jesus' people, guided by God's word, empowered by his spirit, are the ones through whom God still works authoritatively. So here at Grace Community Church, who is our ultimate human authority? No, not me. No, uh-uh. I'm part of the elder team. But the ultimate authority is this guy, Right? Jay Messenger, who's not here today so I can speak freely. (laughs) And because Jay Messenger is the ultimate authority here at Grace Community Church, we know what we should have for breakfast tomorrow, (laughs) right? (laughs) Now, explanation for some of you who weren't here last week. This comes from that sermon. For those of you listening by internet, you can't see the picture of Vitabone dog biscuits and Kikoman syrup. Kikoman soy sauce, but listen to last week's sermon, you'll see why I put that up and why I'm going to get in real trouble at teaching team on Tuesday morning. The scripture, to read it well, the scripture must be read first in the context of the whole story. There's all kinds of stuff in scripture. One of, my, one of the questions we've gotten is what about polygamy? We find all kinds of heroes of faith who have more than one wife. David, for example has more than one wife. And if you look at that and say, well, David can do it, it'd be fine for me. Have you read the story? How does it work out for David to have multiple wives? It's terrible. You know, every single time you get multiple wives, it's a disaster. You have to read in the context of the whole story because pieces of the story are descriptions of things that are wrong. But the story points that out. We have to read it in the context of the worshiping, serving body of Christ. And the best community is a community of diverse theological perspectives, diverse theological backgrounds, rich diversity of cultural, ethnic backgrounds. And the more diverse the group, the better. And you open up the Bible and say, what does it say? It's astonishing how much agreement there is in what the Bible says. The dispute comes in, how does this relate to that? Or we read passages of our theological grid and say, I know it says that, but it can't mean that. And we explain away, but you can't do that in a diverse community. It's a place where we read group-wise first, but also privately and devotionally. We do both. And we do it as we join God's work in the world. It's not written for abstract. It's written so we become a community of justice, generosity, beauty, goodness, those kinds of things. That's what it's about. Accepting God's authority 
means loving him. Because that's the response that the God who redeems, provides, protects. Now, there are those times when we think, God, you're not redeeming or providing or protecting. There's absolutely questions that come up. That's why we read together and live together in community. We take his values to heart. So in my own case, one of the things I've been doing for quite a while is I'll take one value and kind of for the whole year just really focus in on it. I'm an Enneagram 8, wing 9, thankfully, Sherry says. That's the more kind, dominant, pushy person. Yeah, and I need to be reminded. So the thing I've been doing, I'm doing it again this year, gentleness, one of the fruit of the Spirit. I need that because I'm so dominant and so pushy and not old and crabby on top of that. And that's what authority means is to get people to help me out. I've got quite a few people want to help me out. Gary, that wasn't nice. And I appreciate it. Obeying his commands. What's his number one command? Share your baby. Share your baby. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Embracing his promises. So when that, you can't get through it, and his promise, I will be with you, sometimes I can't feel you present, God. I need help to do that. Declaring them in life and word wherever we go. There's a lot of stuff like that. Question. Is all the Bible equally authoritative? This is the word of God. I've been in this building for three and a half hours now. Not one single person has greeted me with a holy kiss. Not one. You're a bunch of sinners. And you ought to repent. <laughs> no, don't run up here yet. <laughs> I, if I go to Lebanon, I will be greeted with a holy kiss there. And see, what happens is a good bit of the Bible is a cultural application of a general principle. And greet one with a holy kiss is that. Uh, after first service, I had several come up and offer various forms of warm greetings. Holy hugs are really good. What about bacon? According to God's word, according to God's word, what does God say? Uh-uh. Bad, unclean, no bacon. Okay, I'm going to become a Protestant. I'm going to become a a pagan right now because I love bacon. Oh, how about how some nice succulent shrimp, barbecued and, and you know olive oil? What does God say about that? Nope, nope, nope. No shrimp, no bacon. What do we do with that? Because see, right in the middle of the bacon promises are the promises say, "Do not have sex with a man as with a woman," because that's an abomination. Right in the middle of that is other things that a lot of people say the Bible. Well, if you don't pay to if you eat bacon then it'd be fine to have same-sex relationships. Genesis chapter 3, sorry, Galatians chapter 3, the law, sorry, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant people satisfy God and thus do away with the promise. What is that? Well, in the context, it's very clear. That's Abrahamic righteousness, the Abrahamic covenant. What's involved in that? Things like Genesis 2.24, A man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, a definition of marriage. It runs all through scripture. That's Abrahamic righteousness. What is the law that's added 430 years later? Well, that's the Mosaic Code. 613 commandments. Worship team, you all want to come on up here. I'm starting to wind down. 
Why then, why then was the law given? Why was it added to? And it tells us it's added because of transgressions. It was added because of transgressions. So we see this, for example, in Jesus, the, the Mosaic Code said, do not commit adultery. And the people in Matthew chapter five say, we're good because we're not committing adultery. What he does is he peels back to Abraham and he says, but you're objectifying women and lusting after them. It's added because of transgressions. And the point of the Mosaic Code is to give gift of the life of, guide the life of Israel to a community of faithfulness, generosity, beauty, justice in a context of sin. Now it's got some very specific things, sacrifices in the temple, it's got food laws, those kinds of things. But it's a very specific kind of code, but the goal is to have a community of generosity, justice, beauty, mercy. It was added what? Until the seed. Who or what is the seed? That's the promised Messiah that we saw back in Genesis 3.15. It's added until. So to put it in format, Mosaic Covenant was added to the Abrahamic, what's the next word? Until, until Messiah came and the New Covenant was inaugurated. So we are not under the Mosaic Covenant today. That's why we don't do sacrifices here in, in our church building, for example. But we are part of the Mosaic Code, which is the Mosaic is Abrahamic righteousness, let me put this in graphic form. Abrahamic starts back in early Genesis. That's the marriage stuff, for example. And other things, trust God when he says it, no matter if it makes sense or not, be loyal to him, do generosity, justice, those kinds of things. Moses is added when? Well, at Sinai. Until when? Till Messiah and his work is finished, it's added until Pentecost. And then it's replaced by the new covenant. So, ultimate question, what about bacon? <laughs> Jesus said, it's good. <laughs> now, I look at that. This is the lighthouse at La Jumeille off the coast of France, out in the middle of the ocean there. Beautiful lighthouse. Looking at it at the top, it can look like this. 30 years ago, December 21st, 1989, there was a huge storm coming through, a little bit like the ones going through the Rockies right now. And a guy flew a helicopter out there to take pictures of this ice or lighthouse. Theodore Mulgren was the lighthouse keeper when this happened. Completely flooding the place over. He heard the helicopter and ran out thinking he was about to be rescued. And this picture has become iconic. This is an iconic picture of a lighthouse keeper standing in the doorway of a lighthouse as the huge waves break around him. And it's a picture of what we do when we stand in the Word of God in all the trash that's going on in our society. That iconic picture is what we, we stand on the Word of God. We hear what it says. 
Jesus said that same kind of thing, and this is from Luke chapter, well, this is Matthew 7, Luke 6. Everyone then who hears the words of mine and acts on them shall be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And what do we do when God speaks? The answer is, we listen. So we come together to celebrate that rock, to be touched by it. That foundation of a community of intimate relation with Him. Some of you are here and you don't yet have that intimate relation with Jesus. We'd love to talk to you. Lots of questions, lots of seeking, lots of wrestling to do. We're a place where we want to talk about everything. Uh, if you're looking for somebody to guilt and shame you, you've kind of come to the wrong spot. We're not very good at that at all. We want to get worse at it, actually. But to talk about it, wrestle with it, absolutely, absolutely. One of the things that come up on the question list, I've been looking at it here. Uh, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff. But one of the questions, why weren't all the questions answered? We've got a ways to go yet. Uh, we did several in the sermon today. We'll do more in subsequent sermons. We've got the forum coming up. I'm going to suggest to the preaching team and elders that we put all of them in a document and put them up so you can see them. There's nothing hidden, of course. Uh, but I, the ones we don't answer in the sermons and maybe others, maybe we'll just put together and put brief answers to a lot of them uh, and put them up on the church website. We'll see. Uh, we want to be a place that's really searching for God. We want to be a place that's honest about their difficulties. One of the questions up here is, what do you do when God doesn't keep his promise? How come Satan has dominion in the world? Those are agonizingly difficult questions. We wrestle with those kinds of things. We take them seriously. We want to talk about them. We want to be a community where people can talk about anything. We're not a group of people who got all the answers waiting for somebody to come and take notes. No, we're a community. I like the thing. We're all beggars looking for bread, and maybe we got an idea of where to go. That's what we do together. And we're learning and growing to be a community that's honest and authentic and I'm glad that they heard my God's word and shared their baby with me let's pray together father thank you that you are the God of all grace thank you Jesus that you came to this broken earth lived to show us how to live died for forgiveness of our sin rose to bring us that newness of life again poured out the Holy Spirit so we can have unity and joy and a mission to bring that good news to people who need it. We need it. Open our hearts to hear your words so we can be a community of justice, generosity, joy, faithfulness, mercy. We want that, Lord. Pray that you'll be blessed in all the things we do and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go change the world. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.